Week 11 of the, the 12 disciplines that we uh, committed ourselves to um, discovering or being challenged by or just opening our, our hearts and our lives to some of the spiritual disciplines that have been practiced right from the time of Jesus. And, uh, and so our goal, our goal over the last 11 weeks and has been from the beginning that we would seek a, a transformation of our inner being. Uh, to, to quote something of what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 3, um, that there would be, you would be strengthened in your inner being so that you would uh, get a glimpse of how you are loved, how far and wide and deep and broad is the love that the Father has for you. And, um, and, so, and Paul speaks a lot about that, just being rooted and grounded in love. There's just what be rooted in rootedness in our inner man in our inner being and um and so we've been looking and seeking and longing for transformation and uh and so that's what we're, we're today we're looking at um we're looking at guidance uh and i i am aware as even i uh as of a begin as we begin to speak about this topic of this area of guidance that it is not a topic that is often spoke about I think sometimes we, we do hear it in the in the individual sense, but tonight, as we've been looking over the last three weeks, at the this is the third week looking at the corporate disciplines. Um, we spoke of confession and we spoke of worship, and then tonight we're speaking of uh, around guidance. And uh, I love just to start with this quote. I love this quote. I think it's a it's a really helpful um, springboard for what I want to talk about tonight. Um, but I also think it's actually really beautiful, really deep uh, uh, quote for even the moment that we find ourselves in right now. Um, and again, it's, it's Richard Foster, he's, and he's saying, uh, being open and receptive to the leadings of the Holy Spirit is a non-optional part of transformation. Being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit is a non-optional part of transformation. But this is what he goes on to say. In our day, in our day, right now, heaven and earth are on tiptoe, waiting for the emerging of a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people. All of creation watches expectantly for the springing up of a disciplined, freely, freely gathered martyr people who know in this life the life and power of the kingdom of God. It has happened before. It can happen again. Such a people will not emerge until there is among us a deeper, more profound experience of an Emmanuel of the Spirit, God with us, a knowledge that in the power of the Spirit, Jesus has come to guide his people himself. He has come to guide his people himself, an experience of his leading that is as definite and as immediate as the cloud by day and fire by night. And honestly, there's something just, as I read that um, last night, there's just something stirred in my spirit that heaven and earth are on tiptoe waiting for the emerging of a spirit-led, spirit-empowered people. And, uh, and it will not emerge, Richard Foster says, it will not emerge until there is a more profound experience of Emmanuel, God with us. And the power of Jesus coming to guide him, guide his people himself an experience of his leading, of his guiding, 
that is as definite and as immediate as the cloud of by day and fire by night. That is, I just find it so rich. And um, so that's a wee bit of a springboard for what I want to um, chat about tonight. Uh, as I've as I've already mentioned, um, the individual individual guidance is probably something that we are more familiar with than corporate guidance. But individual guidance has to lead. I think individual guidance has to lead to corporate guidance. There must also come this knowledge of the direct active leading of the spirit together. Um, and so we've heard, I think we've heard good instruction of how, of how scripture leads, of how God leads us, sorry, how God leads us through scripture. We've heard wonderful stories of how God speaks to individuals through, through dreams, uh, through, through visions, through signs. But there is little, there is little spoke of how he leads through his people collectively, corporately, the body, how he, how he guides and how he leads. Um, and this is a side note, but I think in some ways we become so preoccupied with private guidance that that is, I think it's, it's because of the emphasis that we place on individualism, because of this Western culture of individualism that we live in and it so easily sneaks into the church. And I want to go right back to the beginning of scripture. If we, if we go right back to the beginning, we'll see that that is been the heart of God for that it's always been his heart that he would lead a people he would lead a body he would lead a people empowered and guided and led by the spirit together so if we go right back to Exodus we go right back to the the story of the children of Israel being led out of bondage they, they were, these were not individuals who just happened to be going in the same direction these they, they were led, the children of Israel were led out of bondage as a people. They were guided by the pillar of fire, by, by day, no pillar, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They were led as a people. They weren't just individuals happening to go in the same direction. He was calling and leading and guiding his people together. That's always what he wanted to do. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but just so just to give you an idea of where that where things began to go wrong, obviously things have already went wrong in Genesis three. But through Abraham, God has God has longed to, to initiate His plan to guide and lead and to bring all of humanity to bless all the nations to bring all of humanity back to Himself. But even here, we see them step slipping away again. They they step away. They make one step away from this corporate leading that God wants to how he wants to lead his people. And so in Exodus 20, verse 19, you don't have to go there, but, but this is, you just tr you trust me that this is what it says. Uh, the people, um, when they saw, that this was when the Ten Commandments were given, when the people saw the, the thunder and the lightning, they saw the mountains and smoke, they stayed at the distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not, do not have God Speak to us or we will die. See, this is, this, is, um, this is the beginning of the ministry of the prophets. This is where Moses, in a way, became their mediator. God was leading his people together. They were being led together. But then the people decided, we do, like, we no longer want to be led this way. 
we want someone to to we want someone to go for us. And so they said, Moses, you go and you speak with God. We we're we're going to hold back. And so it begins here in Exodus twenty, the ministry of the prophets. There's one man heard and led and guided the people. But then, as the story goes on, as the story develops, they then reject the prophet in favor of a king. They say, like, we, we want to be like all the other nations. We don't, we, we don't, we no longer want a prophet. We don't want you, Samuel. They want, a, they want a king like all of the other nations. They reject the prophet in favor of a king. And so what ends up, and we become really familiar with this as, this, as we see the story of many of the minor prophets, the prophets are then left on the outside. They're left on the outside, and sometimes they're obeyed, but oftentimes they are, they're killed. They're this lonely voice that is on the outside. And, um, and so again, that's going to, I don't want to go off on a tangent with that, but that is something of the, the history of, of how, where we went, where we went from God's heart leading us corporately together as a people, and some of the steps that we, that we took to walk away from that. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And it, uh, Jesus comes, Emmanuel, I've already quoted, he comes, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus comes and he teaches us how to live in response to the voice of the Father. He comes and teaches us, his, reveals his heart, teaches us his ways, and shows us how to live in response to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then we have this verse that I think some of you will be familiar with, Matthew chapter 18. Um, verses 19 and 20. Again, without, going to, without spending too long in this, uh, when two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And I think what Jesus was teaching, he came to reveal to us how we could live, the way to live in response to the voice and the nudgings of the Spirit, to the voice of the Father. And Jesus then comes, and I think in this moment, he is teaching that us that we we'll hear it more clearly together. When two or three of you come in my name, I, that, like, I'm there. I'm in the midst of that. I am, I am wanting to be in, as you work this out together, as you work this out as a people, corporately together, I'm there, I'm in the midst of it. And I think he wants to teach us that we can hear his voice most clearly together. And again, I think it's Richard Foster, but he says, uh, in reference to Matthew 18, that it is whenever we have, he uses this, 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 it's like this maths equation, his will plus our unity equals authority. His will plus unity equals authority. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 18. And I've been back in the, I've been back reading through Acts again at the minute, um, just hoping and longing for it to stir faith in me that like, Again, as we've quoted, heaven and earth is on tiptoe, waiting for a spirit-empowered, spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated people. And um, we see that most clearly in, in, the, in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And it's in Acts chapter 4, uh, verses, well, we see it in Acts 2 as well, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. But also in Acts, Acts 4, we see how they're being led together, like, no one is no one is counting any of their own stuff for themselves. They are so consciously aware that they're be, that they're in this together, corporately being led together, devoting themselves together to the to the practices and the ways of Jesus. 
They didn't count anything as their own, but led willingly and gladly at the apostles' feet because they knew that they, were, that they could hear better together. They knew their resources were better put in the hands of a people that were going to hear from the Lord together corporately. And I think there's something really challenging about that. I think there's something really interesting as we, uh, as we look at how the early church was formed. The fruit of the early church came from those, I think, from how they devoted themselves to these primary things and how they counted nothing uh, as their own, but offered all that they had freely because they were beginning to understand this is, was the longing of the Father. This was the, the way that Jesus was teaching them. His will plus unity equaled authority. And um, yeah, so uh, to keep in the book, uh, keep in the book of Acts here for another few moments to t to look at another couple of examples, because I think corporate guidance, to, to to think of guidance and to think of it corporately, I think it is most beautifully illustrated in the calling of Paul and Barnabas. And I, like this is where we're this is where we're getting into good stuff when we get like all of it's good stuff. How like I can't how do you compare what's going on in Acts? But I love Acts chapter thirteen. This there's so much going on here. Like the gospel is beginning to go. It's beginning to go to all the places that it was that it was always meant to go. It stayed for too long in in Jerusalem, but now there is a there is a community of people that is gathered at Antioch. And what's, what's incredible about it is it's multicultured. It, there's all different languages, all different giftings, all in the mix here in the church in Antioch. There were prophets and there was teachers. There was Barnabas and Simeon and Lucian, Manny and all, like all of these different personalities, all of these different backgrounds, all together in the church at Antioch. And I love what they were doing. They were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. Worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then... Uh, the Holy Spirit said. So in this moment of of coming before the Lord and all with all of their, and I'm sure there's lots of different preferences in this moment. I'm sure there was lots of people were were because of their background, because of their political persuasion, or because of their denominational leanings, if there was such a thing then. That they all came with their would have came with their own ideas, with their own agendas. But that's not what happened here. What happened is they began to worship the Lord. And they began to fast. And, and I, I don't think it says, I don't think we know how long that went on for, but then the Holy Spirit says, he knows that he can entrust these people to be led into, as the body corporately together. And so he says to them all, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then it just, begin, it just begins to accelerate. We just see the gospel going to, to Cyprus and the, um, and to all of these other places, Lystra and Derbe, as we, as we follow on, Acts 15 and 16, 17. It's remarkable. And I, think, I just love how, how, how it was all initiated in this. I think corporate guidance is beautifully illustrated in this moment. And I think the worship thing is important because we've already talked about certain disciplines. We've, and here they're included, the discipline of, of prayer, discipline of waiting, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of worship. And so they're, they're, they have become a prepared people, like something has happened deep within them. They have become a prepared people 
And so the, and the call of God arises, the call of God arose out of corporate worship. And Holy Spirit says, Paul and Barnabas, go, I am sending you. And it's not always fun, like it's not always good, like it's not always exciting stuff like that, but it, it also it also plays a, this idea of corporate guidance is is again, and I think it is beautifully illustrated in Acts 15. There's a moment here of real tension. And so it's not even the fact that the, that, that the church is able to resolve this moment of tension, but it's in how they're resolving, I think, is the, is the exciting thing. See, they've, they've come back. All of this is going on. And it's taken people, it's taken people uh, by surprise. This is not how they imagined things would be. They thought God was coming to restore just the, their own little nationalist ideas. God, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel now. Because they didn't understand that it was for the whole nation, all the nations. It was for the whole world. It was to the ends of the earth, and um, and so there was there was this argument that began to ar- to arise among the people, among the believers, and some were saying, "Unless you're circumcised in the way of Moses, you cannot be saved." And so Paul and Barnabas were coming back saying, "Well, like let us tell you what's happening. The Holy Spirit is coming in power, and he's fallen." On these Gentile people, really listen in. Like before you make your judgments, let's talk about this. Let's let's have a conversation. Let's hear from one another, and see if we can work out what the Spirit is saying, what the Lord is doing right now. And so they began to share their story, and I love verse twelve. It's a, I just find myself so moved by verse twelve. It says the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell of the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles. I love that. Like they came with all of their frustration, with all of their angst, with all of their worry about this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But as they begin to hear the stories of what God is doing among the Gentiles, the whole assembly becomes silent. I love that. And I love it even more when it gets to verse 28 and it says that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should no longer create these barriers that we have placed. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They had gathered, the, the church faced its most, it faced its most explosive issue, but it also resolved its most explosive issue by gathering to hear the mind of the Spirit, by gathering to hear the voice of the Lord. And I love it. They desired to live in the basis of a spirit, of a spirit rule, a spirit-led rule. There was no, there was no compromises, but spirit-directed unity. There was no majority rule. There was no fifty-one percent rule. They had decided they were going to commit themselves. They dared, they dared to live on the basis of spirit rule. They dared to live that way. It's beautiful, I think. And then as Paul goes on, Paul's letters go on to, I think, like, play this out. We don't have time for it. There's enough of the one and others. Like, whenever Paul is speaking, he is always speaking corporately. He's always speaking to the body. And, I, like, and, and obviously, you're not going to hear me say that he doesn't want to speak to you as an individual. He doesn't want to do some stuff to you individually and guide you individually. But what he wants, is, as he guides you individually, it has to be for what he wants to do in the body, what he wants to do corporately. And so the gifts are given 
to the body in such a way that we need one another. Like the gifts are distributed so that we will always need each other. We'll never be able to do it on our own. We'll never be able to, to follow and pursue and fulfill all that God wants to do on our own. And I hope we've seen enough of that in, in, in some of what, uh, some of how the early church lived out this idea and what Paul goes on to talk about. The gifts are given in such a way that we all need each other, that interdependence was guaranteed. And not, not, not to turn this into some sort of like history lesson, because I would bore you and I don't, <laughs> I'm not well versed enough in the history, but unfortunately by the time we get to Constantine in 313 AD, we have went back. The church was ready to accept another human king. And without getting without getting into without getting political or anything like that, the church was ready to the the church was ready to accept another human king. It compromised. It had given up this idea of spirit led unity, spirit led rule. It had given that way up. It had compromised. But thankfully, there was many. The vision didn't die. The desert fathers felt like they had to go out to the desert. There was there was no. They felt there was nowhere else for them to go. And they went out, and they they continued to believe that that's the way that the Lord wanted to lead His people, spirit led, waiting, being led and prompted by the nudgings of the Spirit, by the voice of the Father. We get uh, there's there's many stories that we could tell, but as we think about as we think about this idea of being led as a people, of corporate guidance. I can think of nobody better than St. Francis of Assisi. And this is what he committed himself to. He committed himself, this is, this is uh, what was said of St. Francis of Assisi, as the holy humility that was in him did not allow him to trust himself or in his own prayers, he humbly turned to others in order to know God's will in this matter. He was speaking of a certain moment that he, that he found himself in, a decision that he had to make with regards to the future, uh, to regards to his own future and his own ministry. And in his humility, he, he didn't trust his own prayers enough. He, he, he did not allow himself to do that, to trust in himself or in his own prayers. And so he turned to others in order to know God's will in this matter. And so he gathered trusted people, people that loved the Lord, that, that he knew would wait and worship and fast and hear from the Lord together. It's not often talked about, but it's, it, is a, it is a beautiful way to live. And, and, and I think the Quakers lived this out really beautifully. Like they wouldn't, they was, and there's still people that live this way right now, people that are so, um, so committed to being led as a people that they'll not make decisions without having people that they know and trust to speak into their lives, whether it's marriage, whether it's a moving house. Sometimes we make, we make those decisions so flippantly. But we want to hear the voice of the Lord in all matters. We want to know the, the, the whisper and the leading of the Spirit in all matters. And, and I, like, I can identify in some ways with, with Francis of Assisi. Like I, there's times where I don't think I, I'll, I'll come with my certain bias with my own agenda. 
there's just times when I know that I probably can't trust myself or my own prayers and I need to lean on the on the wisdom and the and the voice of others as we wait on the Lord together. And there's other models that that throughout history that have been um, that have been modeled really well. We don't have time to to look into them. The Quakers, you know, there's not many. There's maybe not that many business people on here today, but the Quakers, how they, how even for business decisions, they made their business decisions under the under a sense of the corporate leading of the spirit. There's many stories of how the Quakers um, made their decisions, even their business decisions. Uh, under this a sense of the corporate leading of the Holy Spirit. And obviously with everything, that with, with all of these things, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm bringing in, uh, in some ways an air of caution, like there is limits to this. Um, there is limits to corporate guidance because there is, we're having to deal with the humanity of people still. Like there's still, uh, there's still, manipulation and control of leaders that can still take place. And so that is a limit to corporate guidance. Whenever um, leaders want to manipulate or control and uh, steer things a certain way, that, that there's a limit, there's, there is limits. In light of that, that, just to say, I was reading Matthew 12 earlier and, and, uh, and referring to the, what was spoken of Jesus and Isaiah that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. See, there is a tenderness to each, to each situation that we, we want to make sure that we bring. And that doesn't always come. There's an, as I said, there's a manipulation and a control that can come, but that is not the way of Jesus. He is tender and he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I think it's really important, and I hope that I'm speaking to the converted where this is concerned, but the one spirit will never lead in opposition to the written word that he has inspired. He won't lead, and the spirit will not lead us in a way opposite to the written word that he has inspired. And as I've already alluded to, there is a limit because we are all human. We're all human. And, we look, and there's times we will all see things differently. That doesn't negate the importance of this. See, Paul, unfortunately, it got to the stage where Paul and Barnabas seen things differently in Acts chapter, was it, I can't remember, 15, 16. Um, but they see, seen things differently that they ended up separating. And, and there's probably times where that will be the case. But I'm still convinced that there's a way that we can separate and still be really kind to one another still choose to be kind. And um, thankfully, just, to, just so you know, Paul Marmus, there, were, there, was a, there was a reconciliation towards, towards the end. We see that in the, in the letter that he wrote to Timothy. So there is limits. We'll wrap this, wrap this up with a few closing thoughts. The goal, the goal of guidance. See, we can, we, we, I, I know that I am, I, I am definitely one that looks for the shortcuts. And, um, and so it comes to the idea of guidance. We can so just, we want the shortcut. We want to know, what is your instruction on this matter? What is your instruction in this decision? The goal of, the goal of guidance, that, that's not the goal. The goal of guidance is not just for specific instructions about this or that. 
But it's like everything else that we've been talking about. The goal is that we would be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. The goal is that we would be conformed into his image. See, the will of God is like he wants to, he wants to, he wants to lead us. He wants to give us instructions about certain decisions, about, about certain situations. But the will of God is most clearly discovered as we are acquainted with him, as we learn his ways and become his friend. As we, as what Thomas Aquinas called it, the familiar friendship with, with Jesus. Like that's, that's what we, that's what we are after. And the will of God is discovered uh, most clearly. We enter into this familiar friendship with Jesus. We discover his will as we become more acquainted with him. As we learn his ways and become his friends. And as friendship grows, as friendship grows, as intimacy grows, then the conformity grows too. The likeness of the likeness increases. And then I think we will know instinctively. We will know instinctively what would please him. In the same way, there's a couple of married couples that are listening in here. Like the more, the more friendship grows and the more intimacy grows, the more you will understand what pleases one another. And it's the same. It's the same as we, as we grow in relationship and familiarity and friendship uh, with Jesus that we will know what pleases him. As we come to moments that we need to make a decision, as we come to those crossroad moments where it's like, where do we go? What do we do next? As we gather ourselves around a people who are pursuing the same things, pursuing the same way, growing in friendship and relationship with Jesus, we will begin, I think we will know instinctively, there'll be something within us, we'll know what pleases him. And I close with this. Um, I close with this and then Joanne, would you pray for us? Is that all right? Give you give you 30 seconds notice. Is that all right, Joanne? Can you hear me? Yeah. But I finish with this. I finish with this. It only makes sense. See, I hope I don't dismiss everything that I've said up until this point, but all of what we said, it only makes sense to ask God for guidance in the context of a life committed to seeking first the kingdom of God. It only makes sense if that is the life that we're committed to. If we are, and we talked about this right at the beginning, seeking first the kingdom of God. And so the idea of being guided by him, led by him, listening to the whispered of his, whispers of his spirit, like all of that will only make sense in the context of a life surrender and a life committed to seeking first the kingdom of God. And so honestly, I'm really, like, I'm, real, I'm really challenged by this this week. I'm challenged every week, I think, but I'm, like, there's just some stuff here that I uh, find myself wrestling with and I'm encouraging you um, in your families and your friendship groups with your neighbours that you just uh, maybe like, just begin to chat some of this out, work this stuff out together. Um, yeah, that'll do for me.